You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, good morning, everybody. Please take a seat. Bless you. It is wonderful, wonderful to be here uh, in sunny Coventry. I was coming through, uh, got diverted, and ended up in the Motorfest. Um, so I'm not sure if a Kia Sportage uh, qualifies to be in the, the Motorfest, but there we are. Uh, so I found my way uh, winding through the city and eventually made it here to CLM. So it is an absolute joy uh, to be with you. As you can probably hear, I'm a little bit hoarse. Can you hear that? The hoarseness. Uh, that was because of last night. So Pastor Martin very kindly has given me a moment of indulgence. Just look at the screen. Even if you don't like football, I want you to look at the screen. Uh, this is years of pain rolled away. And uh, marvelous night last night. And uh, I, I'm a terrible football uh, match watcher. My wife leaves the room while I watch football. I can't sit down. I'm pacing up and down. I know when I shout at the television, it doesn't help. Uh, but it helps me. And uh, when the second goal went in last night, I shouted too loud. And my wife tells me off. She says, uh, your voice is your most important instrument and you are screaming at a football game. So please stop that. But uh, I did worship Jesus passionately this morning too. All right, so, so there we go. So uh, number six, Pastor Don will probably have that picture up as well uh, when he comes later in the month. But it is my joy this morning to continue with the series, Reaching Wider. If you are a guest with us and you've missed any of this series, this is week number five. And so you can catch the previous four sessions all on podcast via the website, absolutely free. And it is my joy this morning to speak to you about uh, reaching wider through a generous life. Um, so reaching wider through a generous life. So if you've got a Bible and you would like to follow the reading with me, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, if you do have a Bible, I'd love you to grab that. This is Paul uh, writing to a church just like ours, a church in Corinth, and he's writing to them to really encourage them into a lifestyle of generosity. And not just generosity that's about, you know, raising money for the church, but a generous lifestyle that will impact and enrich the world. That's really what he's talking about. One of the greatest statements Paul ever makes is in this passage earlier on in chapter 8 when he says that even though Jesus was rich, he became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. And if you really want the flow of this, you've sort of got to read chapter 8 and chapter 9 together. So if you get a bit of time later today or this week, try and read those two chapters together and you'll get this magnificent flow of generosity. We're going to break into it in chapter 9 and verse uh, 6. And Paul says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
goodness. If you like marking your Bible or highlighting your Bible, that's a good bit to mark. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers, for you in their hearts, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Speaking there, of course, of Jesus. You and I live in an incredibly noisy world. I've just come back from holiday and we flew out uh, last week uh, on possibly the noisiest flight I have ever been on. It was unbelievably noisy. Now, I've flown all over the world with different airlines, uh, and the noise on this plane was so great that talking to my wife was difficult. I couldn't actually hear. And I found myself having to really speak really loud in order to be heard. But here's the problem. The louder you speak in a noisy world, the noisier it gets. And your voice is in danger of being lost in the noise. Now, the problem we have or the challenge we have as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is that our message is a message of words, a message of confession, and a message of story. It's a story of God coming to the world. So we want to get that message out to people. But sometimes our challenge is the world around us is so noisy with its own message, with its own agenda, that, that our message is getting lost in the noise in words alone. And when we flick on social media, when we go to any outlet whatsoever, noise, 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 voices, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's an expert on everything. And the world is being bombarded with message and noise. Now, we don't want to lose our message, of course, but we don't want it to be lost in the noise. So how do we help our message not to get lost in the noise? Well, here's my suggestion to you. We live louder. We don't just talk louder, we live louder. We engage in lifestyle, we engage in actions that actually allow our message to be heard. And here's the danger, if we just crank up the noise, we're just adding to the noise. But if we can find a way of cutting through the noise, of getting people's attention in the noise, then maybe our message has a chance of reaching wider. Yes? If I just scream louder, I'm just adding to the noise. But if I do something, maybe for a moment, I buy a moment where someone gets distracted from their own noise and starts listening to something I have to say. Does that make sense to you? And that's the challenge 
that we as a Christian community have. When describing Jesus, John says this, that Jesus came full of grace and truth. In fact, in John chapter one, twice Jesus is referred to in the context of grace and truth. And I love this because every time this is put together in the gospels, grace always precedes truth. When you start with truth, you're into noise. But when we start with grace, we're trying to make a pathway for truth. And if I can be a man following Jesus, committed to a lifestyle of generosity to the world around me, I believe my generosity can be the grace opening to the truth conversation. Come on, are you with me? So instead of just shouting louder because I've got the truth and they haven't, and I believe that, I believe, I, I believe that the Bible gives me capital T truth. So don't hear what I'm not saying. 100%, I believe the revelation we have in the Bible is a revelation of truth that can change anybody's life. But, but just shouting louder isn't always the best strategy on a noisy plane. Sometimes, I've got to think, how can I get my world's attention without raising the volume? Is there a way that I can attract them so that it buys a moment for the truth? And when you read the Gospels, you'll see this over and over again. Jesus often performs an act of grace which makes way for truth. It's fascinating. You can, you can check it for yourself. Just, just do a casual read of the gospel and you'll often see Jesus touching someone, reaching out to someone, feeding someone, helping someone, showing compassion and generosity to someone. And then on the back of that, we've got some form of truth conversation. He rarely begins with truth. Uh, he, he does it with the religious community. Tends, that tends to be a strategy. But with the ordinary man and woman on the street, Jesus tends to start with grace and then moves to truth. He reaches out in generosity to people, loving them uh, and blessing them. And then out of that, he brings truth. And here's what I've discovered. This is my, my conclusion in that. Feel free to disagree with this. When truth follows grace, it sounds different. When I'm just standing up for truth, it sounds like my opinion. It sounds like my view of the world. It can even sound quite, quite bigoted or intolerant in some contexts. But when that conversation of truth is following an act of grace, the same truth sounds different. Now, it's not that the truth has changed. It's that the view of the person listening to the truth has changed because the truth has been preceded by an act of generosity. And suddenly, instead of it just being a truth conversation, it is a grace and truth engagement. Now, here's what I want to challenge you with. This is the idea we'll keep coming back to. If people see, they might just listen. 
Look, let me ask you the question. You're all looking at me very seriously on a Sunday morning. Clearly, a lot of Manchester United supporters in the room who are upset with me over the fact that Liverpool won last night. Now, let, 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 let me challenge you with this idea. Why should anyone listen to you? Why should anyone listen to me? I've no right to stand up in a jet to plane and say, hey, everyone, shut up. I'm a man of God. Listen. <laughs> Why should they listen to you? Why should your neighbor listen to you and not somebody else? Well, we have the truth. Of course we do. But if our truth just gets lost in the noise, we're just another noise. So somehow... By following the example maybe of Jesus or by following the example of Paul, we can create a moment where people get to see something and then if they see something, they just might listen. Now they might not, but they might. Are you with me? And so that's the challenge to every one of us. And from the passage Paul has given us, I want to give you three ideas that I think uh, grace and generosity give us. And we're, we're, when we're reaching wider as individuals and as a Christian community, I think generosity is a tremendous uh, opportunity for us to bless our world, even if they don't believe, it's still a good thing to do. But actually, grace and generosity makes a way for the truth conversation, which is ultimately where we're trying to get people to. We're trying to get people not just blessed, we're trying to get them changed. We're not, we're not just wanting to feed hungry people, we're wanting to see their lives transform forever. We don't just want to uh, bless people in a way that they feel good, we want them to live good. Yes. Is that right? Yes. So here's three ideas from Paul from our passage. Here's the first idea. Generous actions speak louder than pious words. Ladies and gentlemen, the world has had enough of piety. It doesn't need any more piety. We, we, we have a nation today that's a little bit disgruntled with the political process and, and with that other levels of authority process because they're tired of hearing stuff and not seeing stuff. Are you with me? Is that fair? Come on. And it's not just, that, that attitude's not just being projected onto our politicians over things like Brexit. That, that attitude is, is coming to all areas that they claim to have some measure of authority. And the church claims to have a measure of spiritual authority in spiritual things from the Bible. But, but actually our world is, is tired of just hearing words. They, they want to see if we believe what we're saying, if, if we're prepared to put into action the stuff that we want to do. Look, look at Paul's words in our passage. He says this, verse 9, he, speaking of the righteous man, has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor and his righteousness endures forever. Now the eagle-eyed among you will spot that that's a quote from Psalm 112. And Paul there is deliberately referencing this psalm for two reasons. He wants us to understand two dynamic ideas. First of all, the blessedness is manifest in generosity to the poor. So this man is blessed. How do we know he's blessed? How do we know he's blessed? Because he says he's blessed. No, no. How do we know he's blessed? We know he's blessed because he gives to the poor. Come on. It's a powerful idea. His blessedness is manifest 
in his ability and his willingness to give to the poor. So actually, part of the blessedness of my life should be generosity with what God has given me. This is suggesting that if I've truly been blessed, a sign that I'm really blessed and I understand that I'm blessed, it's not that I'm going, hey, this is cool, man. This is fantastic. But no, the sign that I'm really blessed is that I, I take what I've been given and I share it with the poor. Now, now we can cut that at a lot of levels. Literally, materially, I can share it with the poor or I can share whatever gifts God's given me with those who don't have those gifts. But the point is, I am sharing what has been given to me. Paul says, secondly, by quoting this, and it's a powerful idea, his righteousness is directly linked to his generosity. So actually, it's, it's back to this idea. A long time ago, we, we did this series together on James, and we talked about this idea of doing what you believe. And so if we believe something, uh, we do that out. And in the Bible, it's a strong idea. A sign that I am a righteous man is that I do righteousness. Now, I'm not doing the righteousness to get righteous. I'm doing the righteousness out of righteousness. So having been made right by Christ, I'm now sharing that with my world. Now, if we even believe a fraction of what I've just said to you, what this means is this. The church of Jesus Christ should be the most generous community in their community. <laughs> Why? Because we are the most blessed. Now, now, when we talk about blessed, people start thinking about bank balances and badges on cars and the, how many rooms you have in your house. And that may be part of the equation. But let's just step back from that superficial, secular understanding of blessing. If, if I was living in a tent, but my unpayable debt was forgiven, I would be amongst the most blessed people in the world. And the reason we're not all overwhelmingly saying amen to that is because we're not sure that's right. But you've been blessed. You are unbelievably blessed. We as a Christian community have been made rich with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And therefore, once I get that, I should want to share that. And sharing that is a sign I've got that. If I'm not sharing it, it's a sign I haven't quite got it. Or at least if I have got it, I definitely don't understand it. Are you with me? Yes. So let me, let me land on this one then, this idea that, that people can argue with our creed, but not with our conduct. So, so the poor may disagree with the theology of the rich man, but they're not going to argue with his generosity. Come on. A friend of mine was working in, a, in a, another country in a different part of the world. And uh, as part of the work she was doing, she, she volunteered at a, at a local medical 
uh, institution, local hospital. Now, a bit grand to call it a hospital, really a medical center. And she was volunteering there and helping there. And she noticed that actually during her volunteering there, that at lunchtime and at, at sort of different times in the day, people would sit on the steps of the hospital. And so she decided in her break, that's where she would sit. And so she went and sat on these steps and, uh, and had a, a little sandwich and she brought a little flask of tea being uh, from uh, England. She had her flask of tea. Uh, and so she's sitting there and she noticed a young man sitting uh, just to the side of her on the steps. Uh, he was clearly very, very sick. In fact, she found out later he was dying of AIDS. Uh, and so um, he's sitting there uh, clearly very sick, clearly very alone, uh, and has no food or no drink. And so she reaches out to him. And my friend said to him, would you like to share my sandwich? He was very taken back by this. And he sort of uh, pushed her back a little bit. Uh, but she persisted. And so he took a little bit of her sandwich, almost out of politeness to her. And then she poured her tea and she said, would you like a drink? And he said this to her. He said, do you, do you know what I have? And she just said, would you like a drink? And so he took the cup and he drank out of the cup and then he handed the cup back to her and she drank out of the same cup. As a result of that action, the young man opened up to that woman on the steps of the hospital, people walking past them up and down. Within a few minutes, she had led that young man to the Lord and he'd become a follower of Jesus. Tragically, within six weeks, he was dead. He was gone. But, but what was it that broke the noise? A great sermon? She didn't say, here, my friend John Andrews, got him on podcast, listen to that, That'll, I'll rock your world. <laughs> or here's a great book I've been reading. No, no, uh, would you like a drink? Come on. An act of grace made way for a moment of truth. Now, it wasn't a cup of tea that saved them. It was the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord saved them. But he wouldn't have listened to the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord dying of AIDS unless a person hadn't have given him a drink. Come on. Come on, are you with me? People can argue with our creed, but they cannot argue with our conduct. And we're living in a, a noisy world where creed is being blasted everywhere. And actually, we've got a dynamic and amazing creed. But in order for people sometimes to hear that creed, I've got to not shout louder, but live louder. Come on. Who, who could you offer a cup of tea to this week? Literally or metaphorically. It doesn't have to be a literal cup of tea. But it's a moment where you stop what you're doing and you offer some generosity. Does that make sense to you? Here's the second idea I think Paul gives us. He says this, generous actions create a platform for praise. I love this. I love this language in this passage that he gives to us. Here's what he says. He said, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He goes on to say this. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. 
Now here's what Paul is saying in this context, that there's a sense in which our generosity to people is going to meet an immediate need. And that's, and that's a good thing. So, so my friend, if that person's hungry or thirsty, that meets an immediate need. But here's what Paul is arguing. There is a phenomenal opportunity or possibility that out of that act of generosity, the person who has received that need being met may then offer thanks and praise to God, whether at this stage they believe in God or not. Even if they don't understand where it's coming from, they offer thanks and praise to God. Why? Because uh, they have experienced a, a proactive act of generosity. They haven't earned it. They haven't worked for it. They've just received it. That's what grace is. Grace comes to us because, uh, because it, it's the, the generosity of the giver. It's nothing to do with the recipient. It's nothing to do with the person doing anything to get it. That's the whole point of grace. It's something we don't deserve. And Paul says, your act of generosity like that, that grace generosity, like the generosity he's describing in Jesus, who even though he was rich, he became poor, that act of generosity that had nothing to do with the merits or, or the actions of the recipient, Paul says, when you are generous like that, something can happen that changes the world in which we live. And in a, 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 a sort of wonderful way, Paul is saying this, that even from the mouth of non-Christians, praise to God can come. And I, I believe that powerfully. So here's an idea I want to land with you, and it's this. Generosity can turn a platform into a pathway. So actually what starts as an act of generosity, where, where, where we want to just bless our world, that act of generosity as a platform to bless our world can then create a pathway for our world to come through and actually meet with God. And in a previous ministry context I was involved in, a bit like you're doing in CLM, we tried to get really involved into the life of our community. So we didn't really want to be a church that just gathered on a Sunday. We, we wanted to try and infiltrate into our community in a meaningful way that actually touched them, enhanced them, and blessed them. We wanted to enrich our community. And even if they didn't become followers of Jesus, we wanted them to have a better community. And so we, we had a strategy, a relentless strategy, over a decade of just sowing into our community. The town where I was working at the time was designated as a, a feeder town or a receiver town for asylum seekers. So it was a few years ago. And so we heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say that we were sending mission teams all around the world. We heard the Holy Spirit say to us, I'm bringing the world to you. You need to get ready. Now, there was a lot of aggro around asylum seekers. There was a lot of, a lot of uh, racist and, and fearful and difficult language being used at the time. But we volunteered. We stepped up. We said, come on, let's do this. And so we opened up a learning center. We had sort of pre-food bank days. Um, we had a, an area where people could come and be fed and clothed. And so we, we got engaged. We got stuck in. And as a result of that, we found great favor in our community. Our local counselor for the area where our church was, building was, was from another religion who probably on the surface of it would be an opponent to Christianity. Uh, uh, and so the religion he stood for would not be seen as a friend of some of the things that we would want to say or believe or do. 
but he became a great friend of our, of our church. And he sat in my office one day and we were chatting away and he said something to me that was staggering. I've never forgotten this and I never will forget it. He said, I tell people everywhere I go about your church. And I said, why? He said this, this was his quote. He said, because you are a model of religion. I said, just explain that to me. He said, well, he said, if every religious community in this town behaved the way you behave, it would transform our town. Now that wasn't from a preacher. That wasn't from a friend. That wasn't from someone, you know, who was trying to say nice things to me. That was from a man who wasn't a follower of Jesus by any stretch of the imagination and was part of a religion that might be seen as aggressively opposing the message of Christianity. And yet, our actions of generosity into the community were creating a platform of praise for a man to praise a God he didn't believe in. And for a man to praise a lifestyle that he wasn't agreeing with. But he did it because our actions were speaking louder than our words. And he did it because we were literally consistently living out what we said we believed. Every investment into your community is an opportunity of generosity that creates a platform of praise and might produce a pathway to God. And some of you are going to come at me if you, if you have this thought in your head. You're going to say, well, well we, we do a lot of stuff and not everybody comes to church. Well, that's not the point. The point is, actually, we're doing it because people are in need. Because people need our love, need our grace, need our generosity. Our world desperately needs the love of God. But what all of that is doing is creating the pathway for them to come. And more will come than won't. And I want to encourage you, keep investing in the food bank. Keep investing in the homeless project. Keep investing in, in, in the poor. Keep investing on the margins. Keep investing into missions and, and, and even the stuff you're, you're getting connected with in Syria. Keep investing because that's the heart of God. That's what God loves. That's what God wants. That's the sort of generosity he's committed to. We're here today because God gave no strings attached. He just gave. And actually, if we can develop that mentality that, that our generosity can create an opportunity even for non-Christians to praise God and maybe for those non-Christians to become friends of God, that would be amazing. So Paul says to us, your generosity is creating an opportunity for thanksgiving to God. Wow, amazing thought. Here, here's the last idea I want to leave you with and then we'll pray. <clears throat> generous actions make our beliefs believable. Yes? Now this is an important idea for us. Look at what Paul says in verse 13. Because of this service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession. Note that phrase, dead easy to miss. The obedience that accompanies your confession 
of the gospel of Christ. Obedience that accompanies confession. I love this idea that love is an action. And if we claim to love our world, how do we show that? We show that by actions of generosity at multiple levels towards them, whether that be praying for them, giving, serving, reaching out, touching. But we engage in actions because we claim to love. How, how do my children know I love my wife? By what they see, not by what I say. How do they know I love her? Because of the things I do for her. How will the world know we love them? Oh, you're quiet. How will your neighbor know you love them? How will the person you're working with know you love them? By the things you do. Come on, by the things you do. How do we know the Samaritan loved the man who was beaten up? Because he, he was the only one that stopped and helped him. So it's our actions that speak here in the context. Our actions bring our beliefs into focus. And this is so, so powerful. And here's the idea I want to sort of leave you with on this one. And it's, it's a very simple one. Because of what people ask why. So I, I had the privilege uh, to go out with a street team a few years ago, and they were working specifically, I need to be careful what I say to maybe younger people in the room, but they were working specifically uh, with, with prostitutes, girls on the street. And I, didn't, I don't know what I was expecting that night, whether it was, I expected something quite glamorous or whatever, but what I found in one of our major cities that night was profoundly shocking. It was freezing cold, it was a December night, uh, the girls that we encountered were in a terrible state. Most of them uh, were not only offering their bodies, but they were uh, addicted to drugs as well. Uh, many of them looked sick um, uh, and in a, a terrible state. They were, they were doing things in public, not, not in rooms, in, in public, in, in the graveyard of the church that we were at, in the doorways of people's homes. They were performing what they had to perform for, for unbelievable amounts of money that shocked me. Uh, and I was just, I was in shock. I was being guided by these lovely young volunteers. I was working with a lovely young woman and she was amazing and thank God she was there. I'd have got lost. And she was helping me and guiding me and I was sort of supporting her and praying for her and I was just watching and observing. We met a young woman from, from Scotland in her mid-30s, clearly used to be a deeply attractive girl, but, but this lifestyle had ravaged her profoundly. And uh, we were serving them hot chocolate with lots of sugar and all of that sort of stuff going on. And the young woman took her cup with the hot chocolate in it and her hands were freezing. I mean, even in the dark, you could see they were, they were on the verge of going blue. It was that cold. And, and my friend, just intuitively, out of her heart, she took off her beautiful gloves, expensive gloves, and she handed them to this girl. Now, this girl up to this point had been hard, edgy, punchy, defensive. Uh, and you can understand why she was doing all of that because, you know, we were do-gooders looking down our religious nose at her 
That's how she felt probably. But, but something happened. I saw it happen. As she put the gloves on, something changed. It was like the warmth of the gloves didn't just go into her hands. Now, I don't want to like overplay this, but it didn't just go into her hands. It was like the warmth of the gloves went, went into her heart. And I remember her looking at my friend, started to cry, and here's what she said. These were exact words. She said, why are you doing this? Why are you here? Why are you helping someone like me? And it was an amazing moment where heaven just touched this grimy, disgusting, horrible world that this young woman found herself immersed in, surrounded by depravity. And right there and then, all of that depravity was forgotten, just for a moment, as the warmth of the gloves touched this young woman's heart. And she said, why are you doing this? And my friend just jumped straight in and started to share her story about Jesus, started to share her story about God's love, about the fact that God came unconditionally. And for moments, we were able to minister to and pray for this young woman. What did it? Well, it wasn't me being there. It wasn't my friend going, this is Dr. John. He's got a degree in theology. He'll help you tonight. No, no, it was, it was gloves. Had we started with truth, should have gone. We didn't start with truth, we started with grace. And grace made room for truth. Generosity can turn opposition into opportunity. Now, not always. Some days you're going to be generous and they'll throw the hot chocolate in your face. That's going to happen. Happen to Jesus, it'll happen to you. So they're not all, it's not always going to turn opposition into opportunity. But many, many times, an act of grace, an act of generosity, a reaching out in generosity, whether it's a cup of tea, whether it's community programs and the food bank and things of that nature, or whether it's a pair of gloves or whatever it is. And they're just examples, literal, metaphorical examples for me and you to go, what, what could I do? in the world around me that could create a moment for truth to turn opposition into opportunity. I've just come back from holiday and we flew out with Jet 2. Very good. First time. They were excellent. Flew to Birmingham, went to Spain, had a wonderful seven days baking in the sun. It was absolutely marvelous. But we, we, we didn't want to pay for our seats. So we'd already booked our, you know, but you can, you can book your seat and you pay extra. Well, I'm not into that. Some of you are looking at me a bit strange. You've never done this, obviously. So you book your seat and then you can pay extra to sit together. I'm going, it's a two-hour flight. We can, we can live without sitting beside each other for an extra 15 quid each. We can, we can live with a pain of that. And so Don and I, my wife, got assigned a seat together, but my youngest daughter, Beth Ann, who's 18, she got stuck at the back of the plane, further back. And I said, do you want to swap? Do you want to sit with your mom and I'll sit at the back? No, no, she said, I'll be fine. So she went, she sat in her seat. She was in the window seat, and then there was a seat in the middle and a seat in the end. There was a man in the middle and a lady at the end. And Beth Ann, of course, just gets on the plane, headphones on, iPad out, off we go. And as she's listening on her headphones, God spoke to her. 
And God said to her, take out your headphones. And so she did. Thank God she had the brains and the humility to take out her headphones. And she said, Dad, I sat there, I took out my headphones, waiting for God to do something. And she said, I was just about to put my headphones back in, thinking it was probably just me, when suddenly the man next to her started to speak to her. Notice what she was reading, and it was very interesting. They started a conversation. Turns out the young man sitting next to her is taking his dad's ashes to Spain to spread his ashes. Beth Ann gets into a conversation with him, starts to talk to him about God. He says, I don't believe in God. She said, don't worry, I do, it's fine. And so she starts to talk to him about the Lord. At the end of the conversation, he's emotional, he's tearing up. She says to him, would you like me to pray for you? This is an 18-year-old woman on a jet two flight with a complete stranger she's never met before. And he says, I would love you to pray for me, even though I don't believe in God. And so my daughter, on this noisy flight, where I couldn't hear myself think, where it was probably the wisest thing to do, but put your headphones in. In a noisy flight, an act of grace creates a moment of truth. She prays for this guy. And he goes, oh, I said, that was wonderful. I feel so good. Thank you. As she finishes, the girl sitting on the end reaches over, grabs my daughter's leg and says, will you pray for me? I don't believe in God either, but my mom's really sick. And I'll listen to your conversation. And I'd love you to pray for me. One of the noisiest planes I've ever been on. An 18-year-old. And an act of grace created a moment of truth. Now listen, here's my challenge to you as we close. You prepared to take your earphones out this week. I know you're busy. Got a million things going on in your world. You've got your own challenges, your own pressure. I get it all. Listen, I live in the same planet as you do. I get it. I do. But if we're prepared to take our earphones out, listen, open our eyes and look around there are opportunities everywhere. We, we don't even need to pray for the opportunities. Jesus said, don't pray for the harvest. Don't need to pray for the harvest. He said, pray for workers. Come on. He didn't say pray for the harvest. He said, pray for workers. The harvest is out there. Yeah. And this week, perhaps, if me and you are prepared to take our headphones out, then maybe... Literally, metaphorically, maybe God could create a moment of grace for an opportunity for truth. Our world desperately needs the truth you have. But sometimes it can't hear it because the, tr the world it's in is so noisy. But an action of generosity might just be the thing that creates the opportunity for truth. Why don't you just bow your heads just for a moment? You've been so gracious and kind. Thank you for listening so well. But I just want to challenge you.
I was so challenged by my daughter getting off that plane and telling that story because with the noise in the plane, I just buried my head in a book. My reaction was to shut myself down. Her reaction was to listen. Sometimes we're in a noisy world and we think, nothing I can do is going to affect this noise. And that's exactly what the devil wants. That's what the enemy of our soul wants. We just step away from the noise because it's just too noisy. But a cup of tea can change the noise. An arm around a shoulder can change the noise. Cutting somebody's grass can change the noise. Giving a pair of gloves can change the noise. Can I pray for you? Can change the noise. And I just want to pray right now that God will fill us with such grace that as we go into our world, grace will precede truth. We have the truth. Don't hear what I'm not saying. We have the truth. And it's the truth that changes people. Not cups of tea. Not food in a food bank. Not clothes. They don't change eternal souls. Truth changes them. But clothes and food and gloves and tea and moments where we take our earphones out, they create the opportunities for truth. Sometimes we don't need more noise. We just need to live louder. So Holy Spirit, I pray for every man and woman in this building right now. We're all living in noisy worlds. Deep down in our hearts, we do want to be men that reach wider. We do want to be women that reach wider. But Lord, sometimes it feels like we're on a plane, just, just noisy. And we feel that nothing I can do can pierce the noise. But Holy Spirit, I pray that we will be men and women with a grace-filled attitude, an attitude of generosity, an attitude of the kingdom that says, even though we are rich, we became poor so that through our poverty, someone else can be made rich. Lord, we thank you for, you for your indescribable gift that came to us in the noise and caused us to see something before we heard something. Our eyes beheld before our ears understood. And Lord Jesus, we just thank you and praise you for your grace to us. And I pray for CLM, for every person who's part of this church. And as we go into our world, we will go, yes, with the truth in our hearts. But Lord, I pray we will go determined to take our headphones out maybe this week and give you the chance to help us in an act of generosity that might create the opportunity for that truth. So Lord, may your grace be upon us and may your truth be within us. In Jesus' name.